Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chapter 11 of Herland. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.com. Org. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. Herland by Charlotte Perkins Gilman. Chapter 11 Our Difficulties. We say, marriage is a lottery. Also, marriages are made in heaven. But this is not so widely accepted as the other. We have a well founded theory that it is best to marry in one's class and certain well-grounded suspicions of international marriages, which seem to persist in the interests of social progress, rather than in those of the contracting parties. But no combination of alien races, of colour, of caste, or creed, was ever so basically difficult to establish, as that between us, three modern American men, and these three women of Herland. It is all very well to say that we should have been frank about it beforehand. We had been frank. We had discussed—at least Elidor and I had—the conditions of the great adventure, and thought the path was clear before us. But there are some things one takes for granted, supposes are mutually understood, and to which both parties may repeatedly refer without ever meaning the same thing. The differences in the education of the average man and woman are great enough, but the trouble they make is not mostly for the man. He generally carries out his own views of the case. The woman may have imagined the conditions of married life to be different, but what she imagined, was ignorant of, or might have preferred, did not seriously matter. I can see clearly and speak calmly about this now, writing after a lapse of years, years full of growth and education, but at the time it was rather hard sledding for all of us, especially for Terry. <laughs> Poor Terry! You see, in any other imaginable marriage among the peoples of the earth, whether the woman were black, red, yellow, brown, or white, whether she were ignorant or educated, submissive or rebellious, she would have behind her the marriage tradition of our general history. This tradition relates the woman to the man. He goes on with his business, and she adapts herself to him and to it. Even in citizenship, by some strange hocus-pocus, that fact of birth and geography was waved aside and the woman automatically acquired the nationality of her husband. Well, here were we, three aliens in this land of women. It was small in area, and the external differences were not so great as to astound us. We did not yet appreciate the differences between the race-mind of this people and ours. 
In the first place, they were a pure stock of two thousand uninterrupted years. Where we have some long connected lines of thought and feeling, together with a wide range of differences, often irreconcilable, these people were smoothly and firmly agreed on most of the basic principles of their life, and not only agreed in principle, but accustomed for these sixty-odd generations to act on those principles. This is one thing which we did not understand, had made no allowance for. When in our premarital discussions one of those dear girls had said, we understand it thus and thus, or we hold such and such to be true. We men, in our own deep-seated convictions of the power of love, and our easy views about beliefs and principles, fondly imagined that we could convince them otherwise. What we imagined, before marriage, did not matter any more than what an average young innocent girl imagines. We found the facts to be different. It was not that they did not love us. They did, deeply and warmly. But there are you again. What they meant by love, and what we meant by love, were so different. Perhaps it seems rather cold-blooded to say we and they, as if we were not separate couples, with our separate joys and sorrows, but our positions as aliens drove us together constantly. The whole strange experience had made our friendship more close and intimate than it would ever have become in a free and easy lifetime among our own people. Also, as men, with our masculine tradition of far more than two thousand years, we were a unit, small but firm, against this far larger unit of feminine tradition. I think I can make clear the points of difference without a too painful explicitness. The more external disagreement was in the matter of the home, and the housekeeping duties and pleasures we, by instinct and long education, supposed to be inherently appropriate to women. I will give two illustrations, one a way up, and the other a way down, to show how completely disappointed we were in this regard. For the lower one, try to imagine a male ant, coming from some state of existence where ants live in pairs, endeavouring to set up housekeeping with a female ant from a highly developed ant-hill. This female ant might regard him with intense personal affection, but her ideas of parentage and economic management would be on a very different scale from his. Now, of course, if she was a stray female in a country of pairing ants, he might have had his way with her. But if he was a stray male in an ant-hill— For the higher one, try to imagine a devoted and impassioned man trying to set up housekeeping with a lady angel, a real wings and harp and halo angel, accustomed to fulfilling divine missions all over interstellar space. This angel might love the man with an affection quite beyond his power of return, or even of appreciation but her ideas of service and duty would be on a very different scale from his. Of course, if she was a stray angel in a country of men, he might have had his way with her, but if he was a stray man among angels. Terry, at his worst, in a black fury, for which, as a man, I must have some sympathy, preferred the ant simile. More of Terry and his special troubles later. It was hard on Terry. Jeff, well, Jeff always had a streak that was too good for this world. He's the kind that would have made a saintly priest and parent to jurlier times. He accepted the angel theory, swallowed it whole, tried to force it on us, with varying effect. He so worshipped Celis, and not only Celis, but what she represented. He had become so deeply convinced of the almost supernatural advantages of this country and people, that he took his medicine like a— I cannot say like a man, 
but more as if he wasn't one. Don't misunderstand me for a moment. Dear old Jeff was no milksop or mollycoddle either. He was a strong, brave, efficient man, and an excellent fighter when fighting was necessary. But there was always this angel streak in him. It was rather a wonder, Terry being so different, that he really loved Jeff as he did. But it happens so sometimes, in spite of the difference, perhaps because of it. As for me, I stood between. I was no such gay Lothario as Terry, and no such Galahad as Jeff. But for all my limitations I think I had the habit of using my brains in regard to behaviour rather more frequently than either of them. I had to use brain-power now, I can tell you. The big pointed issue between us and our wives was, as may easily be imagined, in the very nature of the relation. "'Wives! Don't talk to me about wives!' stormed Terry. "'They don't know what the word means.' Which is exactly the fact. They didn't. How could they? Back in their prehistoric records of polygamy and slavery, there were no ideals of wifehood as we know it, and since then no possibility of forming such. "'The only thing they can think of about a man is fatherhood,' said Terry, in high scorn. "'Fatherhood! As if a man was always wanting to be a father!' This also was correct. They had their long, wide, deep, rich experience of motherhood, and their only perception of the value of a male creature, as such, was for fatherhood. Aside from that, of course, was the whole range of personal love, love which, as Jeff earnestly phrased it, passeth the love of women. It did, too. I can give no idea, either now, after long and happy experience of it, or, as it seemed then, in the first measureless wonder, of the beauty and power of the love they gave us. Even Alima, who had a more stormy temperament than either of the others, and who, heaven knows, had far more provocation, even Alima was patience and tenderness and wisdom personified to the man she loved, until he—but I haven't got to that yet. These, as Terry put it, alleged or so-called wives of ours, went right on with their profession as foresters. We, having no special learnings, had long since qualified as assistants. We had to do something, if only to pass the time, and it had to be work. We couldn't be playing forever. This kept us out of doors with those dear girls, and more or less together. Too much together, sometimes. These people had, it now became clear to us, the highest, keenest, most delicate sense of personal privacy, 